Well, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Ephesians chapter 3. We're back in our Rooted series this morning, walking through the book of Ephesians. If you haven't been with us throughout the last several weeks uh, before Resurrection Sunday, we started a series entitled Rooted. And the whole understanding of rooted is that we're rooted in Christ Jesus with God's plan, his sovereign plan from the beginning of time where he planned to redeem us through Jesus Christ. So this whole idea of being rooted and grounded in this understanding of who God is and who he sees us and how he sees us and how he pre-planned since the beginning of time to save us. So we're walking through Ephesians because I love the book of Ephesians. It really, in a lot of ways, perfectly splits up the book in two different parts to really talk about how we're rooted. So this whole idea of being rooted in Christ, this is who we're saved in. We're saved in and through him, through the work God has done through Christ. But then in the latter half, the chapter chapters four through six. So six chapters, first three about who we're rooted in, the last three are how we live out those roots more practically. So today we're in chapter three, verses one through 13. Verses one through 13. If you've missed any parts of this series, go online, check it out, and catch up with us. Chapter three, if you're there, once you stand to your feet with me, and once you have it, once you say, got it. Got it. I'm a, I didn't hear enough, so I'm going to wait a couple minutes. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Allison. Got it. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the reading of God's word, starting in verse 1. The text reads, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner, remember that word prisoner, underline it if you can, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it, has been, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let me read that again. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Remember that. These are the very words of God. Amen. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, suffering to benefit others. You say that with me? Suffering, suffering. to benefit others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your people here. God, I just ask that you would remove me, God, right now and hide me behind your cross. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase. Let your people hear from you, God, not from me. 
Let the words and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. My Lord and my Redeemer, God, we thank you and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said together, amen. 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 You can be seated. Well, as I read this passage and I was studying this week, <clears throat> a very sobering but yet convicting feeling came over me, especially with this past week being the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. Martin Luther King was a man that was highly educated, who attended college at the early age of 15 and graduated in 19 received a master's degree and a PhD by the age of 25. He won a Nobel Peace Prize. Prize. He's a great orator and arguably did more to advance people in the U.S. than any other person. But yet, at the end of the day, he didn't make a whole lot of money. He wasn't rich. He actually was pretty poor. Moved his family all around the states had his house bombed multiple times. He, he was a, a young Baptist preacher called by God to lead a people in Montgomery, Alabama. A young man at that. I mean, I don't think people realize that he was only 26 years old when he was called to the forefront of the civil rights movement and the, and the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. I don't think people realize how young he was. I mean, some 26-year-olds, I wouldn't let tie my shoe. This man was leading a whole movement. He didn't even see 40 years of life, but he lived a full life. But hear me, he suffered during this life, not for his glory, but instead for others. MLK said many things, and if you've been on the internet, you've seen many of the quotes circling around this week especially, but as I was writing and looking at this sermon this week, one came to mind, and it was, it was these words. Look at them with me. It says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. See, we can look at both MLK's life and Paul's life, and we will never forget them or their words. We'll never forget them because they did not keep silent. But, in, but instead, they opened their mouths, and we're here because of them. Hear me, there would be no church if Paul didn't take missionary journeys and church plant. There would be no such thing as multi-ethnic church inequality in the U.S. if Martin Luther King didn't stand on the front lines with those others in the civil rights movement. I mean, both of these men followed Jesus and sacrificed their lives for the betterment of others, even those that were different than them. So my question for us this morning as a church is are we willing to walk in those same footsteps? Are we? Because, hear me, hear, hear, we read these stories, we read about Paul, we read about Martin Luther King. Look, 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 hear me. It's not just a good pat on the back. Good job, MLK. Good job, Paul. No, 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 no. The call to lay down our lives for the sake of other people, for the betterment of other people, is a call that Jesus calls all believers to. Yeah, amen. It's not just for other people. It's for all of us. And see, Paul in our passage today is, is not only letting us know that the Gentiles and Jews are one in Christ, but he's also saying that he's been called to share the gospel message to Gentiles and Jews alike, which he does so to the point of being locked in chains. He's a prisoner and he's dying at the point of this letter. 
But yet, he's a very privileged man too in terms of his stature, just like Dr. King. Which begs the question of how far are we willing to go? How important is it to us to get the gospel out to people who do not know Jesus? Better yet, are you willing to suffer? Suffer for the betterment of others, which may not mean death. It may not mean you dying, but it may mean forsaking your comforts. Your presuppositions, checking those things at the door. Your rights, all for the good of other people. This is exactly what Dr. King and Paul did. Again, will, will we be silent? Will we keep silent? Or follow Jesus and lay down our lives, open our mouths and seek the betterment of other people. Now, family, in order to do this, we have to start from two different places. Two places we got to start at. Look at them with me. Number one, we have to know that the playing field is level. Got to know the playing field is level. And number two, we have to forsake personal privileges to help others. Forsake personal privileges to help others. Pastor Luke did an awesome job preaching a couple weeks ago and setting up our pastors today, walking us through chapter two, where he talked about ethnicity. And as a reminder from his message in chapter two, the Israelites at this time, they thought they were special. They thought they were special because they were chosen and circumcised, which in their minds made them better. It made them better. So they held this up in front of other people like they were the best thing since sliced bread, namely the Gentiles. They're hanging in front of them like we're the bomb diggity, we're the best that's ever come around because Jesus, God, God chose us. But the problem was they weren't special because they were better. They were special because they were chosen. It's a big difference. Now, now hear me, them being chosen had nothing to do with them or their works. But instead, it had all to do with God sovereignly choosing them, which should have made the Israelites at that time humble. Should have made them humble. Should have been on their knees thanking God. But instead, they misinterpreted God choosing them and made it something it was never supposed to be. God didn't choose them because they were better. I mean, they were sinful just like anybody else. All up and through the lineage, all types of sin. But God chose to make a great nation through it. It was his decision. I mean, let's go back. I mean, the Israelites line, look at it, look at it. Abraham, my man, the father of the faith. Before he was the father of the faith, the dude was a liar. Sold his wife twice. He's a liar. Uh, Moses, he's a murderer. David, a murderer and an adulterer. Solomon was a womanizer. Shall we keep going? These are names that everybody knows. This is just a couple of the great names. Family, these were, they were all types of sinful up in the Israel lineage. I mean, where nothing warranted them being chosen, them being the ones that God chose them. So, so there's no room for them to have one ounce of pride. No room. They were sinful and undeserving, but God sovereignly chose them. So in other words, what Paul is doing here, hear me, family, is he's leveling the playing field. He's leveling the playing field. He's like, you're sinful just like everybody else. Remember that. Because with doing so, Paul, if he didn't do that, Paul saying that the Gentiles now are reconciled to God would make no types of sense. It, it would make no type of sense to them because, but, but, but on the other hand, it does make sense now because he's leveling the playing field. But do you know how he's leveling the playing field? Do you, you understand how he's leveling the playing field? Let, let's talk about that. 
See, the Gentiles and Israelites can both be reconciled to God because there's this deep, sometimes hidden commonality, and the commonality is called sin. Everybody say sin. sin. See, Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, he says that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, following the course of the world. We were all dead, dead in our sins. We were all once dead in our trespasses in need of a Savior, which means also that the commonality is not just sin, but there's also a commonality in the fact that we need a Savior. So, so we see that the playing field is level because of our sin, our innate rebellion against God. We, we want to run away from Him, and we also see that there's a commonality in the fact that we need a Savior. But much like Chicago, the city of Ephesus was very divided. It was very divided, whether that be from social constructs, religion, racism, or pure hatred. It was very divided, just like our city. So to reiterate, Pastor Luke, we as a people, or the people of Ephesus coming together, being divided ethnically and socially, but now coming together, it, it, it should not have been happening. This is not something that was normal. It should not have happened back then or, nor today. The marginalized coming together with the, with the mi minority uh, and the minority and the majority, that, it's not normal. Renewal Church, what we sit in on week to week here at our service, this is not normal. This is not normal. I know it feels normal because you've been here for several weeks or months. This is not normal. But Paul makes it clear that people are able to come together ethnically and socially because Christ leveled the playing field. He leveled the playing field where in Christ there's no minority or majority. There's just one people hidden in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about right here in the text is that Christ brings all of us together. This is new now. This was not something that had been there since the beginning of time. This is new. So when Paul steps on the scene, he's telling the Israelites, look, I know it hasn't always been like this, but listen up. Hear me now. This is true. Jesus has leveled the playing field and he's made a way for all people to come to him by his grace. Gentile and Jew alike can be saved if they believe. Hear me. Christianity was not meant to be divided across ethnicities not. We can walk peaceably among each other because we were all once, if not still, sinners in need of a Savior. Nobody is better than the other because, all, because of our skin color. Nobody's better than the other. The playing field is level. I mean, Paul, when you look at the way he opens his letters, not just Ephesians, but multiple other ones, he opens them up by saying grace and peace. And don't just read over that. He, he greets them saying grace and peace, but these words, grace and peace, they have meaning to them. Follow me with this. Peace or shalom was the natural greeting to the Israelites. But grace or charis was the natural greeting to Greeks, Gentiles. So Paul, when he's greeting them in the opening of his letter, he's talking to both of them. He, he isn't trying to include people in the gospel. He's saying, look, no, 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 no. We're all one in Christ. We're all one because we're sinners saved by the grace of God. The playing field is leveled. It's leveled because Christ has saved us all. Let me say this again. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. If it hadn't been for Christ, family, we would not be here. The playing field is leveled because we need Jesus. Jesus demolished the thought that because you were a certain race, 
that somehow that makes you better, makes you chosen. And now you can live like you. I mean, that, that whole thought process, because I'm, I'm, my, my skin color is this way, I can live like I want to, I can do what I want to, I can treat people as less than. Jesus demolishes that. Friends, this is why atro the atrocities like, like slavery, white power, Ku Klux Klan, Jim Crow, or even Charlottesville last year, they're so horrendous and ridiculous and need to be addressed. Need to be addressed because most of the people that participated in this, sadly, in those atrocities, call themselves believers. Let's be real. They, they call themselves believers, and they uphold this belief of, I'm better than you because my skin color, therefore, I can treat you as less than. So when people get upset and say, why we got to talk about race in church? Why are we always talking about race in church? Hear me. One, honestly, we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about it enough. But this is the reason why. This is the reason we got to talk about it because for centuries, even before slavery in America, when we look at the book of Ephesians, people have used the Bible and the word of God, family, to, 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 to somehow use him as a scapegoat to be able to treat people differently or less than because this is, this is the word of God. They're using the word of God as a scapegoat. To say because my skin color, I can treat you how I want to. You're less than than I am. And family, that couldn't be further away from the message of the gospel. See, that's not the God of the Bible. Hear me, God made us to see color. He made us to see differences culturally and ethnically, which, which makes up this beautiful tapestry of, of his creation. I mean, you ever looked at a tapestry? You see the, 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 the yarn and the threads going over and under. You can't even tell how they're mixed together, but it makes this beautiful, color, colorful tapestry. That, that's what God made us to work together and go through our mess so that we can be woven together like a nice tapestry. And with that, family, let me, let me help you expel another thought process because I'm not sure if some of you guys think this way or you know somebody outside of this church. But when you say you're not a racist and, and you say, well, well, I don't see color, that's just as bad because now you're devaluing the architectural beauty of how God can make people so different in shape, color, culture, and size, but then unite them in himself. So hear me, and I want you to tuck this in your pocket. The answer to racial disparity, it's not saying one should submit to the other or say, I don't see color and dismiss culture altogether. But instead, it's us seeing ourselves as equally sinful, but yet at the same time, equally loved by God. Amen. See, that's the gospel. Yes. Amen. That's the gospel. And hear me, when we understand this, we're able to seek the betterment of each other and live intentionally, getting to know one another, valuing our differences. Renewal, let us be a church that understands the playing field is level. It's level and that we all need Jesus, which is fundamental and ground level, on a fundamental and a ground level that unites us, that truth unites us. See, it's with this understanding that when you read Paul's letter, maybe you hear the passion in my voice, but, but when you read this letter, chapter three, you can understand why he's so passionate. 
why he uses the words he uses. Look at these words. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, remember that word? Prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Such strong language. Prisoner? I'm a prisoner. He uses such strong language when saying prisoner, not to say that he's a slave or anything and will do whatever God or the Gentiles demand of him. That's not what he's talking about. But instead, he says from a place of willingness to serve Christ, to get the message to the Gentiles at whatever cost. It it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get the message out. He recognizes all of the division in Ephesus. He's like, I don't care about all of that. That, that, That's not going to stop me. I'm still going to live my life intentionally, and I'm going to get this message to them no matter what it takes, even if it takes my life. And on top of that, y'all, he's literally, right now, Paul is literally locked in chains. Remember that. He's literally in prison, locked in chains for his commitment to Christ, which lets me know that Paul was no wishy-washy, you know, no, no lukewarm type of servant of Christ. My man is very committed to Jesus, to the point of being in chains multiple times, right here in this moment too, which brings us to our second point. Jesus sometimes, hear me family, sometimes he calls us to be willing to forsake our personal privileges, and instead of using them to better ourselves, we now use them to privilege others, to help others. Now follow me with this. Paul was very privileged. He was a man that was born Hebrew, but yet had a Roman citizenship. So he had privileges that other Hebrews didn't, as well as Gentiles didn't. He was was privileged to be born Hebrew, which meant that he was part of covenantal Israel and had access to God. He was chosen already by God, but also he's a Roman citizen, which meant that he had worldly privileges that other Hebrews didn't. And on top of that, my man was a Pharisee, which meant that people looked up to him in society. They followed Paul. He had privileges. But he didn't boast in them, but he used them to the glory of God. He used his privileges to minister cross-culturally, to get the, the word of God across, across lines, to win people to Christ. He, he, he used his privilege to benefit others. Y'all follow me? He, he, he didn't dangle his privileges in front of other people and say, look what I got, I'm so special. He lived his life intentionally and made it his mission to cross lines with the gospel, even if it meant his life being taken. Again, remember, he's in chains right now, writing this letter. He's in chains. Paul is in chains for his faith, and he's still writing this letter. He's not only, he not only forsook his privileges, but then he uses his privileges to benefit others. Some of y'all are missing this this morning. Look at his words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Look at Paul's words. He says these words. For we are the circumcision... He's talking to Jews. He said, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's talking about he could boast. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, look, I, got, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. But whatever gain I had, I love these words, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
See, Paul could have easily used his stature and his place in society for his advantage, but he doesn't. Instead, as some text says, he says, I count it as rubbish, rubbish for the sake of Christ. But he doesn't stop there yet. Look at his words in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 through 23. Look at these words. These are Paul's words. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Look at these words. To, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, don't get lost in his words. Watch what he's saying. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share. I may share with them in its blessings. Family, hear me. He not only counts all that he has as rubbish, trash, dung, lost. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't just do that all for the sake of Christ. He then says, but I also use my privileges hopefully to win people to Christ. Family, do not miss what Paul is saying here. Don't miss this. Paul is not just forsaking his rights so people can look at him and say, man, he's so, look at Paul, he's so holy. He's getting rid of all these things just for Jesus. Y'all been there. He, he, he's not just getting, stop drinking alcohol and, and, and giving up and cutting up all his CDs. That's not him. Some of y'all been there before. That's not what Paul's doing. He's not doing that so you can look at me. He's doing all of this, not just for his good, but he's giving it up so that he can better other people. See, he knows that his ultimate reward is in heaven, which far outweighs anything he can gain right here on this earth. So Paul says, for that reason, I count it all as loss so that I can now use my privileges to help others receive that same reward of heaven. He is literally a prisoner locked in chains, forsaking all his privileges, proclaiming Jesus' name to the people, uh, different ethnically than him. And, and by doing so, he's suffering for their good. Not his good, their good, in order to glorify Christ. Don't miss this renewal. Don't miss it. But see, the problem is, I think we can't help but to miss it. You can't help but to miss what I'm talking about and what Paul is actually doing. You know why? Because we're plagued by our rights. Our rights. But what we think we deserve, because we live in a culture of me, and a nation that has been plagued by a majority or verse minority cultural emphasis, which is totally contrary to the gospel message right here in the text or how we see Paul living. Totally contrary. See, the fabric or history, the makeup of America, y'all hear me with this, is not Christian. Can we be real? I mean, it, the fabric, let me say it again, the fabric or the makeup of America, family, is not Christian. But in many ways, it's the total opposite. Yeah, we went there this morning. Let, let, me, let me tell you about it because some of y'all may not believe what I'm saying. Okay? The gospel does not say pack people in slave ships, lock them in chains, rape their wives in front of their husband, and demasculate them. 
No, it says instead, take their place in those chains. Give them the best seat at your table. The gospel doesn't say whip another person and treat them as property because they have a different skin color. No, it says we're all made in the image of God. We're equal. And if anybody's going to take a beating for wrongdoings, Jesus already took it. See, but some of us are sitting there saying, we're saying, well, like, I know all those things aren't the gospel, Pastor D. I know that's not the gospel. And, and I did not whip anybody. I didn't put anybody in chains. Okay, well, let me, let me come to your neighborhood a little bit closer. Let me get in your backyard a little bit. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you had a person of a different ethnicity sitting at your dinner table? Better yet, when's the last time you had them in your house? quiet. How many friends do you have that look different than you? And I'm not talking about the person that you know their name or the one black or the one white or the one Hispanic friend that you're like, yeah, I know them, they're cool. No, no. How many friends? When's the last time you came face to face, hear me y'all, with your own racial pride? What I mean is, when's the last time you felt something well up inside you because someone said something that offended you culturally and you had to work through it? Some of y'all feeling it right now. But hear me, this is why I'm saying all this. Hear me. The reason I say this is because without a little discomfort, hear me, without a little discomfort and challenges to one's presupposition, hear me, you can't have real real relationships with somebody different ethnically. It's not possible. It takes intentionality and a whole lot of discomfort forsaking one's own presupposition in effort to empathize and have compassion. Paul says he forsook all things for the sake of Christ, and I have become all things to all men in order to save some. Don't just skim over what he's saying right here. This is not easy. It wasn't easy back then, and it surely isn't easy today. And just so y'all don't think I'm just challenging you, let me, let me be honest. Can I be honest with you this morning? You know, I, I may pastor a multi-ethnic church, but... That does not mean I'm the guru of crossing lines. I still mess up. I don't get it right. I mean, so let me be honest. I mean, for example, y'all know Pastor Luke, right? Love Pastor Luke. Pastor Luke is my good friend. But me and Pastor Luke did not start out that way. We didn't start out that way. I mean, I used to feel a certain way about Luke. And (laughs) I mean, y'all know what I mean. I used to feel a certain way. And I thought he felt a certain way about me too. I mean. Luke used to walk in the office, y'all know walk, that's my man Luke, he walks in the office all quiet, wouldn't say hello, and I'm like, what's wrong with this dude? He wouldn't say hello to me in our renewal office, walk to his desk and, and, and just sit there and do his work, and then we'd be, the church would be going through things, and, and he wouldn't say anything to me and, and, and talk to me about it, and I'm like, man, what's wrong with this dude? I feel a certain way about him. Maybe he feels a certain way about me. I mean, and the problem was Luke it works for the organization that helped plan us. 
So it, it was kind of like I'm sitting in the principal's office every day in that awkward silence like, yo, I'm in trouble. Y'all don't act like y'all ain't been in the principal's office in that silence. Y'all ain't never getting in trouble. Come on now. I mean, it's like that. That's what it felt like. And all of this, it felt like that for a while until we had to sit down. We had a real conversation with one another. It, it involved tears and all. We sat down and I was like, hey, Luke, bro. Man, dude, I, I feel like you don't care about me or this church. You, you don't love me. And, I mean, it didn't come out like that, but it's something like that. And it hurt him to the core. I mean, really hurt him. He's like, what do you mean? Would you, I'm, I'm here. I moved my family from Mexico to, to Chicago to help plant this church you, with you, you. I mean, I'm here. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But, dog, we don't talk. We don't talk, Luke. It, it was kind of like your father that lived in the house, but he's not really in the house with you. And see, in that moment, we, we, we really had, had this, we had to come face to face with uh, this real cultural difference because he thought it was enough to just be around, be constant in the picture. But I still felt like, man, you're distant. You're not really here. Now hear me, this is where I'm going to be really honest with you, and I want you to listen to me, hear me, okay? Don't tune out right now, hear what I'm saying. In our society, <clears throat> as a black man, I've had to work twice as hard to get where I am than my white brothers and sisters simply because, now hear me, because we started a very different place in society. 400 years of slavery just 50 years ago, Martin Luther King's still here fighting for our rights. It's a very different place that we start from in society. Just simple fact there. The history of America, we started a different place. And with that said, there's a certain reality that I'm faced with every day, which may not be so overt today, but still exists, which is that I'm still viewed as less than by most. Whether they say so or not, I'm still viewed as less than. So when I walk out the house, I know this reality every day, knowing to a certain extent I have to prove myself, which means I have to work harder. I also have to watch what I do a lot more than my counterparts. Now, don't miss this. Because what this means is that there's a certain level, hear me, certain level of affirmation that I need from those that are closest to me. Not everybody but those that are closest, namely my wife, my family, and lastly, my friends. My friends. Doesn't matter if you're white or you're black, but with that said, if you're really my white friend, I really need to be affirmed by you. I really need to be affirmed by you because here, there is a history between us. There's a history between us where you have been placed higher than me in society. So without affirmation and you intentionally seeking me out on my behalf, my white friend, without you doing that, I unconsciously place you back in the box, as every, the same box as everybody else, looking down upon me, and now I have to prove myself to you again. You get where I'm going with this? See, Luke thought he was being supportive because he was here. And I was like, no, if you're really my friend, I need you to affirm me. I need you to be here. And for me, Luke was like, I need you to be direct with me because I had no idea. 
I, I, so don't get me saying that he's a bad guy. He just didn't know. So at the end of the day, family, we, don't hear me saying he's bad and I was great. We were both being some horrible friends, assuming the worst. Friends, hear me, crossing lines, crossing lines and, and loving others that are different is hard. It takes intentionality. It takes time, forsaking privileges and presuppositions, sometimes suffering and a willingness to get hurt. Because here's the truth, here's the great thing about it, when people come together of different races and statuses that that, that based off our history and the fabric of our our states here in America family, when people come together of, of different nationalities and people see that, they're like, what is going on over there? But not only that, I want to be a part of that. And you know what? Because it's God that's bringing us together. When they become a part of it, what happens? They find Jesus. Family, Paul in these verses is saying, I have crossed lines to my detriment, but to benefit others and for God's glory. And the simple fact is that when the gospel reaches a diverse people, like here in in Chicago, you, you know what happens? People come here from all over the world. And when the gospel reaches people here in Chicago, you know what? They leave. And you know what leaves with them? The gospel. It goes to the othermost parts of the world. But hear me, it first takes some suffering and some struggles, struggling with one another, with believers taking this attitude like Paul and saying, saying, to the extent I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of someone else different than me. Paul says, regardless of what happens to me, I've been called by God. To share this message of the gospel with the Gentiles. I don't care what happens to me. A people that's different than him. Now family, I'm not necessarily telling you or asking you to give your life or to die. But let me ask you the same question I started with. Are you willing to give up your privileges for the sake of Jesus? Using them now for the good of others. Not for you, but for the good of others. Your good is in heaven as a believer. Are you willing to engage in hard conversations, hard conversations, and confront your own cultural biases for gospel good? See, Luke and I, yeah, we had a rough go at the beginning. We had a rough go. But because of us trudging through the mud together, We now not only are able to seek the betterment of each other, but now we also walk and do life better with those that are different than us. Friends, I look at our church, and I'm so thankful that we're multi-ethnic. I'm thankful we have to work through the mess. But, But I also pray that we never get too comfortable and forget that this is not a new idea. This is God's idea through Christ. And like Pastor Luke said a few weeks ago, when we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ correctly amongst each other, there should be oneness. And the church, the people, will be multi-ethnic. Family, like Paul, hear me, will you suffer with me in this world for the sake of others coming to know Christ? And when I say suffer, I mean temporarily. 
Because as a believer, there, there, there's a promised inheritance in heaven. There's a promise here in heaven with no sadness, no tears, no pain, none of that. So what I mean by suffering is that while we're here, are you willing to count all you have as loss, your privileges, your status, your rights for the sake of Christ, not seeking your own good, but the good of other people? See, this understanding, hear me, of forsaking my privileges, our privileges to benefit other people, it's totally contrary to this American dream narrative. But hear me, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. This is Jesus' message. This is what he did when he gives his life for sins that he didn't commit. This is what MLK did. This is what Paul did. And our church exists today because of them and others. We didn't get here because people sought their own good. Friends, there is unity in Christ. But it takes a lot of work, long-suffering with one another. Will you suffer for the sake of others? So that as Paul says in verse 8, folks can know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pray.